Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is about events and monitoring, and we really drill into concrete technical details on how to build GitOps infrastructure and systems relying on events and monitoring, and when you need to revert to a polling loop or augment that polling loop with a uh, event system. And we get really deep in the details in this and really have practical functional advice on how GitOps works, how systems work, and how you can build a resilient system. So I know you will enjoy it. And there's a bonus at the end of that discussion where we talk a little bit about complexity. And I know you will also enjoy that. Do you want to talk about events and monitoring? Actually, I know it's a topic for you also. Yes, I'm very um, interested in this, this topic. We're, we're going to talk about it again next week and talk about events and orchestration. Do you have some idea on, like, I mean, Klaus and I, I think I'll have a good conversation on Prometheus, but what do you, what do you think about the idea of catching events? Like, what's, you know, What's your thought from like, I need to monitor something. It's, it's super know, important to us. Events. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's super important to us because we cap, you know, we talked about this last week. Um, yeah. You know, we capture the events, we put them in uh, customer facing reports or the capability for customers to, to use reports. And then um, we also use, we also capture the information and use it for, um, giving credits for SLAs. So, um, and we have a variety of ways to do it. Um, so, so do it, you yeah, but, talk about that? Do you create the events from the monitor data? Like, like the one of the things that concerns me on events specifically is that if if you miss an event, then it's very you know you might not have the reaction or you might not have the data collection that you want in order to track that. It's they're very short duration so if, if you're monitoring stuff i guess you could recreate that event how do you how do you make sure that whatever you're triggering is the downstream stuff happens uh a variety of ways um so i can talk about the different ways we do it there's um well remember i mean what we're monitoring is the network right so we're we're you know, obviously, if some uh, some element of the network is off stream, you know, we would know, of course, that that's off stream. And then we would have to figure out why it's off stream. Is it because there's some software problem or is it congestion or is it because there's a hardware problem or there's power outage or, you know, whatever it is. Sure. Um, so and some of that we can automate and some of it we can't. <laughs> Degradation is a little easier to automate. <laughs> You, but would you end up putting like a poll cycle in the back end? We I used to do we control do. systems and we we had this dilemma all the time. There was thresholded alarms yeah. and polling, and you never could turn off polling. <laughs> you could slow it down, but you could never turn We never turn, turn, it turn off. off polling. No, that's correct. We always poll. We always poll. And we, we never turned it off. Now it's SMTP traps or ICMP pings or whatever it is, but yeah. That's constantly monitoring the network all the time. 
Oh, it's just, it feels so redundant. I mean, I, I have this problem with our webhooks. The webhooks are awesome because they're events. And, but if you have a thing where an, a webhook is missed and you are counting on the, the behavior of the webhooks, then, you know, mm. all your systems, your system's going to fall apart really fast. Yeah, but, but pings are very simple. They're tiny little packets, right? And, right. and so, I mean, oh. they... Pings have been around. ICM, ICMP polling has been, you know, that was built into TCP networks from day one, basically. You know, so it's been there for 45 years. But yeah, it's just the, the recon- you're going to have to reconcile, though, between your polar and your event processor. Because if the event processor fires, and the poll needs to be able to say, yeah, and I, I already know that, no problem. Mm, yeah. Because then, then you run, right, then you run the risk of double action because the poller detected something and tried to reset it. So item potency becomes really, you know, it, yeah, it's, latency it feels becomes to me like all this stuff yeah. backs yeah. up, right? It, it can. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely can. I used to. I used to think of it, if you think about ATM networks, which I know never became a thing. I used to think about them in terms of if it got congested, the packets would literally drop on the floor. <laughs> that was kind of in my head, the analogy I had that if 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 it wasn't if it stopped working, it would just fall on the floor and there was like, you know, it's like um UDP packets, right? You don't know that they came, right? <laughs> that there's no acknowledgement that, you know, you just assume that they made it and if they don't. That's why you do, you know, so you use UDP for things that you don't really care if you miss a few packets, right? That's why video streaming is all done with UDP because it reduces your bandwidth, but at the same time, okay, so there's a, there's some shimmer in the video. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, packets should be able to do that. Um, Which is fine for packets. Which is fine for packets because that's right. that's assumed if you're UDP. Yeah, right. Um, it's assumed. Yeah, but, but it's I, not. I mean, that doesn't work. That doesn't work from an eventing system. No, it doesn't. It doesn't right. because it's, a, it's and, unless you build it in, and then you're now we're back to the durability of these systems because that that's where that to me where where I started getting hung up is just. This whole, you know, because I'm watching this build stuff that orchestrates using webhooks, and it, it works great. But I, I, I get nervous when I'm like, okay, the webhook didn't fire, or I need to. This is the other, the other side of that equation. Um, I need to redo that webhook because I didn't process it correctly. Right. This was, we see this. I see this all the time when I'm when I'm building stuff. I'm like, I have a webhook from a from Git. And it, it fires. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But then something on my side failed the automation. And then I have to reset the automation, but the webhook could be different. And so yeah. recreating the webhook requires right to do it right. I have to go back and, and cause another change through the system. Um, yeah. So I do have to go. So I have to go. Will, no worries. I'm going to talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Back, See you then. Back and back. Take care. Yep. Hey, Klaus. Do you have an idea on like, because you're doing a ton of GitOps work too? Um, 
Yeah, to a, to a degree. Um, I leave webhooks for events that are okay to be missed. So uh, I think it's really the equivalent of UDP. Like, uh, for example, in in a CI CD pipeline, if a webhook fails, either because the server was down or a process failed downstream, the end result is that the pipeline does not complete and the pull request mm. is not in a mergeable state. So it can be uh, refired either with the same webhook data if this client system supports it or with or with a fresh one. It that that should not matter to the process itself. But what you're what you're providing, like in the CI C D pipeline, there's a feedback loop here that says yes, it was done or not done. So you would have something that would literally say fired yeah. webhook, right, waiting. And then if it was not, there was no complete status. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, so if you're in that situation, even with a webhook, there is an expectation of backflow status updates. Yes, yeah. Um, that makes again, a ton of but... sense on pull requests. It, it's not as easy on a commit. But yeah, that would be it. That would be very logical. I like that. Yeah, I I, I avoid webhooks on on commits for exactly the, the the reason that 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 you mentioned is that it's it's really difficult uh, to um, reproduce the webhook if if it fails and, and and you're relying on it. Yeah, I guess if you're doing it, that that makes sense on like build process stuff. But if you're relying on them, it got merged. And then, um, oh, okay, hold on. I'm, I'm slow here. This is make so. What, what you're saying is that in these processes, we used to do this in OpenStack. There, you don't have a person do the merge. You have people vote on the merge, and the machine does the merge. So you have approvals. So, so somebody creates a merge request and starts an automated process that can go on a webhook. If it fails, somebody can can re-kick that. Yay, no problem. So you're getting reports in the in the merge requests that there is automated stuff happening. People can then vote in if if the people clear the gates on that automated process, then you're gonna also you're gonna get an automated process that then runs the merge action and then closes the merge request. So you actually have a multi yeah rather I mean it's, it makes sense. You're gonna you have a basically a continuing handshake between the two systems. It's not a one-off thing. Something like that, yeah. And then uh, w- once the change is merged, um, like my, my preferred approach is the, the GitList approach, which is you, 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 your merge is not so much the, the trigger for the ap- action, it's just an update of the desired state. And, and then the reconciliation happens out of band from that, uh, which means that, again, you can have a reconciliation loop, uh, which retries until it succeeds. So you're, you're kind of sidestepping the, the the webhook problems that way. 
Right. No, but the reconciliation loop is back to a polling, a polling yeah. process. Right. And to me, that's, a, that's what Beth and I were talking about with I have a polling loop that can be slowed down because I also have a trigger loop or I have, or, or I have an event process that yeah. can supersede it. Yeah, you, um, that's for example something that Argo CD supports, uh, and and uh, you can have your, you, the you can have it you can have it uh, pull from your, your Git repository at cert certain intervals, but you can also trigger it with a webhook, where where it says, oh, I know there's a refresh now. I'll 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 I'll, I'll pull from from the Git repository now as opposed to waiting on, until my next regular interval. So you 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 use the webhook to enhance your poll cycle, but it's it's not the sole event that, that triggers things. So the thing that I find a little frustrating in that I, I get the model is right now when I build a webhook from Git, I can build it generically and use the information in the webhook. What you're describing is um functionally you know I, I i build a polar and i would just and i, would, I could do this and, and i'd fire the poll the poll cycle um whenever i got the webhook and more or less disregard the webhook um i mean yeah you, you, you can which, which actually it's probably better security anyway because you're not going to get a tricky webhook you're going to say all right this is my get ops process with this is what I do from this repo and lock that in. And then if I get a webhook that would send in erroneous information, I'm not going to fall for the trick because that could happen. I mean, there's some security, but it, it could happen. You're going to go back and be like, nope, this is what I do. You're just telling me to do it sooner. Yeah, the, the, the webhook will, will like, at least in the, in the case of Argo CD, will only tell Argo CD, hey, the, an update happened. Do do your thing. Right. Do your do your poll now. Don't yeah, pay. yeah. So, it, it, which is different from actually getting a like a full payload of the webhook and, and following. Right. I I think that that's actually to me the takeaway that that I've been struggling with in this case is if if you're using the webhook and relying on. It, the payload in the webhook, which which I do, you know, we, we have a lot of webhooks that, that rely on the payload. Um, you just have to be aware that, that those those payloads could could miss. Yeah, I, I don't like those in, very much in particular. Uh, pretty much the the only time where where I think those are okay are with um when when the when the client that sends the, the payload via the webhook is one of many. So, so it's basically like a user facing kind of thing. And the payload is actually the user input um, or, or user decision. Um, and when, when going with automated systems, my, my preference is the webhook, all, like the only thing the payload should, should, say, should tell the, the server is where it needs to look for its update. After that, the, the server has its own um, standard process for actually fetching its fetching the data that, that it needs uh, and then running its own process. 
for, for example, the Atlantis, the, the, the Terraform um, CI platform, uh, do, does exactly that. Uh, the 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 webhook that you get of your Git or uh, either GitHub or GitLab or whatever, it only says this is the pull request that got updated. Uh, and then Atlantis goes and, and, and fetches the actual data from it and, and, and runs its own um, internal process after that. I guess there's a, one of the advantages with that is that means you don't have to expose the system to the outside world to create the webhook or worry about routing the webhook in or, or pulling. You you have a much you have a much smaller domain for the incoming data, which means that right. there's a lot less data that you need to sanitize. Um and and yeah, you you rely less on so so there's also Less less chance for someone to um, send malicious data and change the behavior of your system because the, again the, the webhook is only a trigger and it's not the the actual data that the, your system processes. It's interesting, and the flip side is you then have to do a little. You have to do more upfront configuration, or you have to do you have to you have to have more. You have to know more to set set that system up. Maybe not much more. I mean, as a user of the system, not really. As a designer of the system, yes. Uh, well, there's a there's an operator that I would put in the middle of that, which is part of I guess part of what what I'm thinking towards is I'm designing I'm, you know I'm designing a system like that, and part of the the challenge becomes all right. How do you you know, the, the user's not going to care. It's going to get set up and, and just check the repos or respond to the events. But there is an operator, in, in my, from my perspective, who's different than me, who's going to then take the um, GitOps code path and say, okay, I need to set it up. It's just like what you're saying for Atlantis. Atlantis is designing um, a GitOps path, and they're saying, all right, once you're a developer and checking code and you don't care, but there's somebody configuring Atlantis to watch that repo and then, you know, benchmark base, watch the repo on a polling basis, advanced configuration, get triggers, and then, you know, do, do the work based on a trigger so you get a faster response. Um, I, I don't see it being more difficult as an operator personally. Okay. Uh, but although maybe that's because I like, I'm, I'm up to my neck deep in it, and, and <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm comfortable with it. But uh, um, to, to me, um, like I, I, both as an operator and an and user of the of the system, I find it easy because again, the um, it, it's a very um, domain specific language that 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 I use. Like the, the the spec is is very clear. Like if I, if I want if mm -hmm. I want Argo CD to follow a repo, I create a repo type um, object which has certain required inputs, like the URL, on um, possibly authentication, on um, mm -hmm. a couple of other things, um, which are 
in many cases optional. Um, once I create the, the repo, I, I create a on that then the the rest of it is really just configuring the resources for the syncing process for the like configuring the, the reconciliator. So okay. like specifying an app project which tells me like okay what namespace do I want to deploy things into, uh, which resources are, are allowed, which repo do I want to pull from, um, and then configuring the application which says okay inside the the, the repo I, I want to you to look at this path on on this branch um on and use these other configuration options like like passing values and to hull charts or, or things like that uh sync yeah. options um and then as long as everything matches that's it like i'm done both as an operator and user, like the, the system takes over from there. Um, the, the complexity, I think, is, is, in is in understanding how these parts fit together. Because uh, uh, to some people, it, it, it might be orthogonal to how they've done things before. Um, so, yeah. Like having the mental plasticity to 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 like take a step back and, and look at the scenario that the system gives you uh, and using it in, in in a way that you're not fighting the system but but having the system work for you is it, rather critical. And it's the yeah. same problem that Kubernetes really has. <laughs> that is that is what right. One of the things Kubernetes does a good job of is once you get the model, you understand the pattern. Mm -hmm. from that perspective um this is i right and, and the challenge with cognitive load is when the pattern when the pattern varies in in hard to understand ways or you have to learn um from that perspective that that's the um it's interesting because i i pulled up the code that we're using to um like process a webhook from Git. And the, the thing that you're highlighting to me is in, in that code on our system, it, um, it infers things from the webhook call that are specific to the webhook format. And what we probably should have done is we should have translated the webhook into parameters that were generic as a as a pro, as a step and then turn that those those parameters into um, a generic process so that the, the webhook conversion wouldn't wouldn't require because here's here's where the problem is to me right now for us is that if and I, I think this is general a general challenge in writing any um, maintainable system is that if you just take the webhook, you say, here's my data input, and you go, and then you switch that into a polling system, the polling doesn't have that input. And so you don't want to have to recreate the webhooks. Webhooks are all bespoke. The webhooks inputs or the webhooks data, data schema 
in order to launch the polled automation, you want to just set that as configurable data. And you, your, your polling system should already have all of the information it needs to run a poll cycle. Uh, what the webhook should, and, and then it should have various poll cycles configured. Um, and then the webhook tells you which poll cycle your system should run. At least that, that's, that's the GitOps way of things. It, 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 I'm not saying this is necessary what you need to do, because I don't know the, the other oh, details of I, the system. I, so, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. So the, the error I have in GitOps understanding is you're saying GitOps is pull first, and my my designs are webhook first. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, so if your design is purely event-based, which kind of seems like that's what we're we describing what it first, is. That's what we built in the first pass. That's yeah. Um, yeah. Th then, uh, like it, then you, you you have some some ways to go, but before you're you're GitOps friendly, and and like it, it, you it, you it might not make sense for for, for your system to, to to be GitOps friendly if it's uh if it's in, intrinsically dependent on 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 events. Uh, no, I, I I think in this case it's I think there's a safety challenge with I think there's some things that that you could say are webhook intrinsically event processor um, where it's not doesn't it's not sensible to do a poll operation and then you have risk of missing events um, and and some type of handshake or handoff would be really useful to acknowledge you know push back and acknowledge hey yeah I got this from you. Um, and we actually built like an alarm system. We call it alerts, but there's an alert system that says, oh yeah, we're going to send things out. To the, and then you have to, you know, users should acknowledge them because we want to make sure they get read. Um, but um, for GitOps, where you're, you have a, effectively a database, Git is your database. You're, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it like this. And you're just like, yeah, it's database, pull it on a frequency. And then, you know, if you can optimize beyond that, then Set. Yeah. Now the, there is still a challenge, though, particularly when when you scale this this approach, is that um, particularly with with, with public facing systems like GitHub and and SaaS GitLab, um, you have limits on 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 their APIs, so you mm. can only do do certain amount of polls with, with, with your credentials permit. <laughs> um, so once your operation reaches a certain size, you run the risk of hitting those limits. Um, so that is when hmm. you need to start like throttling back the frequency of your polls. And that is when having the availability of triggering Treating your your polling by by webhooks um, becomes um, more critical uh, because otherwise your your polling frequency it just has to by nature be so low that that you might as well just trigger it daily like on a cron job <laughs> and be done with it. Well, that's I mean that I I, I strongly 
believe that the right answer here, I mean, I'm looking at the way um, I look at, you know, I'm looking at the way we've implemented triggers, but I mean, and what we're describing a poll and an event would be two triggers with one backing act of what we call blueprint. Um, and you could actually feed data from the webhook and use it for the one path and you can predefine information for the timer and, and use that as a separate path. Then you can provide a button that would basically say, yeah, just run, run this now. Please. Um, yeah, that's, yeah that, that's that's a good resilient design. It's been bugging me that that right. I, I haven't articulated well having both paths. So. Yeah, yeah. I think of it and like in terms of triggers, that, that that's a that's a good approach because yeah, one is a timer, the other one is asynchronous events. Right, and then you can up up or down the timer. If you need mm -hmm. to. Yep. Makes less sense. Actually, the cron, you could even have um, more frequent times at certain. Cron uh, gets up. But you, you, could have, you could have high rate and low rate, or you could, you could isolate out like a daytime or a higher full rate or something. But it, the, the trigger really eliminates the need for that. Need. That's, that's the right. That's the right answer. I, uh, do, we only have a couple minutes left. I was interested if you, you had made a comment. About Prometheus' strongest weakness, <laughs> I, didn't, um, I don't know if you can encapsulate that down, but I'm super curious about your feelings on Prometheus for that. I mean, Prometheus has historically uh, and 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 provably uh, again and again been been weak to high cardinality data. Um, like some implementations, like like Thanos or Geometrics. Are a little bit more resilient to it, but ultimately, like you, the higher cardinality metrics you're pushing into your system, the like the the resources grow, um, like almost exponentially, like m more than linear. Um, so mm. that is always a, a challenge when when you're scaling your your Prometheus system. Uh, where your question is then like, well, do, it, do I throw money at it and, and, and go with like a 64 core machine and, and, and two, two terabytes of RAM or, or do I just uh, like the, the option is like you, you start splitting your data. Um, unfortunately, on, on that end, that's one of Prometheus, Prometheus' strengths in that you don't need to put all of your your your, your metrics in, in one Prometheus system. You, you can you can aggregate your queries um, with relative ease, that, that depending on the systems. But but it, it it's it's viable. But but yeah, like a and and and, and this goal goes back. Thought about yeah. I mean, what you're describing to me because some of we we've, we've seen some customer requests that I would consider sort of off book Kubernetes or not Prometheus, where they're trying to to do. Um, High cardinality, like, oh, how fast did my jobs run? Are these tasks following a process? We're like, there's so much variation in this. I, we don't know how to create, you know, sort of a scale metric for you on that um, without creating markers. To, like, like Prometheus, I hadn't even thought about the high cardinality problem. For us, if you're throwing a whole bunch of new things to monitor constantly, if you're constantly changing the monitoring uh, group, that's going to be 
really hard in any monitoring system. I don't think yeah, well, that that that's that's churn rate. Like like when when you're creating new mm -hmm. time series and 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 not continuing to to submit data for older time series, and that's bad for for Prometheus as well. Um, right. Ultimately, in in a lot of these cases, um, it turns out that it isn't like the 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 ask is is not to to keep the the, the atomic data, but but just to keep the the aggregate like a histogram, like in right when when you you when you're marking a, a a website, do you really need to keep track of every single request? Or do you need just need to say like okay like this is the the breakdown of duration of my uh, two hundred level uh, responses like I got no, a thousand on under a millisecond mm. I I got ten thousand under ten milliseconds I, I I got fifty under a second and and I, and I got know a hundred that that are over five seconds well. Clearly, those hundred are, are are not great. You don't know which ones those were, but you know that they exist. If that is enough, then then, then great. Prometheus works excellent for for that because you have an aggregation like and and you and your at the at the time where you're exporting the metrics, that's where where you create the histogram, and and it's easy. You you just provide the counts, and then Pr Prometheus can give you quantiles from that, and and it's wonderful. Now, if you need per request information, again, because you're not just looking at the alarms, but you also want to do a drill down, or because you actually think that some of those might be malicious and you want to, again, know which ones they are, then you need to complement Prometheus with some other system, either a logging system or, or tracing or something like that. Like right. that, like, once you get to that point, that is no longer Prometheus's job, and 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 that that is the second weakness of of Prometheus is that a lot of people try to make it do that job. Uh, right. So you could be like, all right, my system's running slow. I'm seeing an excess of uh, you know 400 errors or you know 500 errors on my system, and trigger a threshold and do that, but. Drilling down into, hey, here's the, here's the 500 error, and here's the user key, and all that. Like that that type of data, um, that's a different. It is it's a different problem. Uh, it's a lot of data to capture. Um, it, it but it's not, it's not trend line data either, right? That's that's not statistical data. That's diagnostic no. data. No, like it, it, it's not like the same client like runs the same request every 10 seconds. So the, the, there's there's no point in keeping that kind of data in a histogram. That is event data. Um, right. And, and, right. and again, like it it uh, it's not uh, the, the we're on like, theme. yeah. Prometheus is not the right kind of database for for that. Um, now it, it why, doesn't why mean did, that, that. Why did people want to stuff that into Prometheus? Like. That's what surprised me. I'm like, we're like, why would you put this into Prometheus? It's not because you don't want another tool or a platform. Same reason Jenkins uh, is used for a lot of things it shouldn't be used for. <laughs> well, I, I think it's more because they don't understand the difference between monitoring and observability. 
and and and, and there is a, a a difference. Like monitoring is a part of observability, but but it, it's very hard to explain why you need more than monitoring. Right when people are just like, it's this is a whopper. This is Wafa then. So some of the what challenge is- also is that vendors are blurring the lines in which a platform that's traditionally been for monitoring starts to add some things around observability. And now I start to think everything is all the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, it, and it's also it's also very hard uh, because it, it's it's extremely difficult to sell the benefit of, of, of doing tracing, which is one of the three pillars of observability um, early on. Like trying to convince a developer team to spend some of their crunch time adding a tracing library, like you, you're, you're barking up against the wall there. It's interesting because I was, I've been having a Twitter, uh, what's this? Um, oh, it's uh, Lauren Hutchstein. Hutchstein? Uh, and, and I've been going back and forth, but he was he made a comment, and this might be the right comment to close out on. Uh, he was talking about the worst time, but it just are a lousy time to learn how to use your observability tools. Um, and so I, I think that's the, the challenge. And, and my comment back was, um, you know, it's, it's the, the best time. Best time is today if you need it. Um, but well, you're describing to me the tracing is not going to be accessible when you have when you need it. You have to do it. That's my my point is that that is one thing when you need that trace, it is too late to put in the trace. Mm-hmm. You have to. You can't. You can't retroactively do it. Maybe logging a little bit. Hey. Logging is a is a very shoddy substitute for for either monitoring or tracing. Very, very, and yet, <laughs> a lot of money on it. Because uh, if it's if it's the best if it's the best tool you've got, it sure looks better than nothing. Is I think I, the moral of any of these stories. It, it is better than nothing, and it's absolutely critical that you have logging. Yeah. Um, but again, like s- same way with monitoring, like it. it if you start with logging and, and, and only do logging, it, it's very easy to, to try to, to put tracing and, 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 and metrics and monitoring into logging. And I've done it. Like I, I, I was one of the reasons why I picked up Elasticsearch in the first place. Now this, admittedly, this was before Prometheus really existed. So like, it's not that what, like I had a ubiquitous alternative, uh, but I mean, it was not that long ago that I've done this. So I, I, I know, I well, well know by personal experience the pitfalls uh, of the, the serology process. I and mean, it's, it's why I'm also so, um, so passionate about it. All right, well, next, next time we're going to go another level deeper, <laughs> if that's possible, looking at uh, some orchestration. That's an orchestration. Sounds great. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I, I love the, I always learn on these. Um, but today I feel like I got a lot smarter. And so too. Wait, I'll see you soon. Cheers.
So hang tight, everybody. We, we wrapped up our monitoring conversation. The prequel for that conversation was actually a complexity dialogue. Uh, and I wanted to include that in this. We talk about economics, complexity, supply chains, and disruption. And those are always fascinating conversations to share. So enjoy this little extra bonus at the end of the episode. I mean, Texas, just seeing something about the Texas grid, like they're running the power plants past maintenance limits. Yes. So, right, if when we're at capacity, one plant going offline unexpectedly, it's just like what happened in the winter yeah, um, yeah. crisis. They had, you know, a couple of plants went offline. One of the big nuclear plants had a sensor that froze and made it shut down. And, you know, it doesn't take that. There's no spare capacity in the system um, to absorb that. Right. I was just reading, I was just reading something about Slack, uh, Slack capacity. They did the best job I've seen yet of explaining why running people um, or equipment at a hundred percent. It's um, a bad 80, idea. 80, 80 or 90%, right? I mean, if you're not, that's what they were saying. If you're 80%, then an interruption that costs you a day will take a week to recover from. Yeah. And if you're above 80% utilization planned, then it'll take, you know, months to recover from mm-hmm. even a small interruption. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the supply chain is remarkably fragile, as we've discovered over the last mm-hmm. uh, three years. And, and, and it was because of that drive for, you know, 20, 30 years to, you know, be, quote, efficient. Um, and and how do you become efficient? You you know, lean is all about removing excess, removing you know, making sure everything all lines up. But if you've ever, if you know, in grad school, I you know, I, I played the beer game, <laughs> and you know, uh, one glitch can mm-hmm. you know cause major you know, and and the meltdown of. To one, 2008 was an example of that. That was because yeah. the banking system was fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, they'd exploited, yeah, they'd, they'd exploited it. The, the last major uh, cascading power failure in, in, the, in the Northeast uh, uh, as well, which was what? Oh, yeah. 2015? Yeah, it was the one in New York, New York City. Yes, it was a big one yeah. in New York City. Yeah, my daughter yeah. happened to have been staying in New York City at the time when it happened. Yeah, like a, <laughs> oh, one yeah, sector went down, and, and it started cascading yeah. into the other ones. Right. This this comes back to the conversation we have about complexity all the time. That right, you, you if you don't exercise the systems, you don't know that they're. Complex and fragile until the until you hit the uh, hit the limb. Well, it, it's not just that. Is I mean, I mean the, the the complexity is is one component of that, but uh, the, the coupling of the systems is um, makes it a lot more more difficult as well. Uh, like particularly with, with with power grids, they're very sensitive to to changes. Yeah, they are extremely sensitive. You you can't just switch like what 20 kilowatts on and off it, it's it's something that needs to be etched into so 
Um, what we've seen lately with with, with these power outages, and, and particularly now that here in Canada, like um, one of our uh, major nuclear plants, uh, the Pickering plant uh, in, in Ontario, is it, is close to end of life. It will be it will be decommissioned in, in a couple of years. Um, so what what the provinces are looking into is instead of replacing it with one power plant, replace it with several smaller ones. Mm. With, with nice. the, because we, we do have the, the, the can-do reactors, which have been proven safe and, and, and they work well at small scale. So um, we've seen similar actions happen also in the manufacturing sector and do, during, during COVID. When, like when China, when, when Taiwan couldn't deal with the supply, the, the reaction was to distribute the manufacturing. Yeah. So like yeah. not putting all of your eggs in one basket. Right. Right. Yep. Look at, look at the uh, formula supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where we've given up all diversity in that supply chain too. And then and, and, had, a, had a failure. On and oil chip. and fertilizer and uh, chips. Chips is the classic one. And how many yeah. manufacturers of disk drives are there? I think there's two in the entire world. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And we're in, but we're back to the efficiency argument of running things as, as much as we can. Right. Right. And, and, and ultimately, like it's it's the danger of homogenization. And that mm. if everyone uses the same component, it's great because it's replaceable, but it ends up being built in one place because why duplicate your effort? Right. Right. That's what it, it's funny because we, we typically think that standardization is going, is going to turn into a diversity of manufacturers. Um, it's just the opposite. And it's, it's, it's remarkable how it's like even like chips and um, like all sorts of things, you standardize stuff, and then you end up with one supplier. Yeah, it seems really backwards. Um, well, it, some of them, the suppliers. I mean, this happened with the disk drives. the The suppliers just literally just bought up their comp- competition and put them out of business. <laughs> happens a lot in pharma. Like yes. That, that, that's a reason why there is no manufacturer of five dollar insulin. It's, yeah. It's because the ones that that do start that way, either end up joining joining the cartel and, and selling it at a terrible markup, or end up being bought out. Yeah. I, and it's hard as a business, you know, from a business perspective, to justify otherwise. Just like it's hard, it's it's impossible to justify running at below capacity. Um. If it's hard to justify expensive capital goods, right? It's hard to justify when you have to justify it to stakeholders or, right. or to a board that only cares about profit. Right. It, in the next one, quarter. Yeah, <laughs> in the next quarter. It, I mean, it, it's one of the reasons why, for example, why Costco is so popular with the um with the with the with the crowd that has an anti-capitalist sentiment. Because they don't, well, for example, like like the Costco hot dog. Mm. Ah. How long has it been? A dollar fifty, and 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 like the, the owner is like, 
I'm not changing it. Right. It's a loss leader for them, though. You know, it is care. fascinating. I heard that they raised their um, the price of their soda, not because the soda got more expensive, but because the cups, the supply chain on the cups. Mm. Went up, so they added they passed on the cup price to the consumer. Well, there's mm. been it's interesting this time around the inflation. There's been a lot of shrinkage in terms of the size of the packages. The cost. You uh, know, shrinkflation, I think they call that. Yeah. Inflation, yeah. Check out check out the uh the formerly half gallon ice cream containers. <laughs> oh, so they just moved the bottom up, yeah. Change the number. And they, they have the rounded corners now. And take a look at the size. It's smaller. It's like three quarters of a I mean it's like huh. I guess three pints now. It's considerably smaller. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're the packaging people are brilliant at doing that. That's always that. That's always a good leading indicator. I agree with you yes. on that. Um, of of what the what the economics are. Yep, yep. And uh, well, and restaurants are just dying. I mean, the costs are just going through the roof. The, the interesting thing I saw on the Walmart report, like I heard on the news today, Walmart is has excess, significant excess inventories, which is a not a promising not a sign, good sign from economics. But no. the, the the feedback loop is we're putting a whole bunch of stuff in on sale and discounts. So the inflationary pressure from having excess inventory is corrective from that perspective. So if you yeah. have the cash to buy a TV. Or some other big ticket item from, from them. There, there's we're about to see good prices. So uh, it, it's corrected for question. Walmart. Uh, however, it 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 also negatively affects smaller shops that are yeah. not able to to put uh, that yeah. kind of sale to clear their inventory because they might not even have that inventory because they they get it on demand. Yep. What a great series of conversations we've had, uh, really deep about the technical aspects of eventing and monitoring, and then also about how to build uh, resilient systems, right? We always talk about complexity, and it is important to think about how those systems get built. We want to hear from you in these conversations. They are always better when, when we have your thoughts and input. So please join us at the 2030.cloud. Come in, uh, just listen in if you want throw questions or uh, be an active participant. Looking forward to hearing or seeing you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.